Welcome to Potline Bling, the podcast where we talk about cannabis, science, and cool things like that. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing Tim Byers. Tim is the Director of Medical Cannabis Programs at Pacific College in Health and Sciences. Tim is an expert in cannabis science, education, and policy, and he can speak about how each of those aspects relate to phytocannabinoids. Tim, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Of course. So let's uh, let's let's talk a little bit about what you do over at Pacific College. Sure. Um, so at Pacific College, we have two programs that are cannabis specific. We have a, a certificate program that's uh, eight credits and three classes. It takes about six months to complete. And we are introducing a master's program in the fall. It's a traditional master's program. It's a master's of science and uh, medical cannabis therapeutics. And it's uh, 10 classes and 30 credits. That would take about 20 months to complete. So both of them are uh, healthcare specific. So, you know, we have specific silos in the cannabis industry and we like to focus on the healthcare silo. Uh, although the certificate program is also, we have one track that's for uh, non-healthcare professionals. So really any cannabis stakeholder who's interested in learning uh, more about how to uh, use cannabis uh, therapeutically uh, can, uh, can certainly join the program. Have you noticed more students interested in working in the cannabis field or, you know, as you said, is this, is this targeted for, um, you know, uh, people in public health or nurses or PAs? Yeah, we um, certainly we get a lot of healthcare professionals who are interested and in people who want to use uh, who want to add cannabis as an adjunct therapy to their existing practice. And the nursing community is a very important community uh, in our program. And the, of course, they've been uh, early adopters uh, in the cannabis space for a long time. So um, they're, um, you know, they're, they're very important to our program. But we also see other healthcare professionals, um, acupuncturists, massage therapists, um, you know, a, a, a variety of other uh, working healthcare professionals or coaches, people working in the um, health and human performance space. Uh, and then we get uh, people from the industry also, you know, bud tenders who are interested in learning more about cannabis, uh, people who simply have a, you know, maybe they have a, a, a family member or, or a friend that they're hoping to help who's using cannabis medically. Yeah. So when I was in school, I had to do rotations in hospitals and, you know, it was something that, that, uh, it, it was still kind of taboo, even though I, I went to university of Colorado, they, you know, were really strict on cannabis, even though it was legal there. And I found it kind of like, man, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's so weird. There's so many therapeutic uses for this, you know, to not be even considering it is, is, uh, it, it has to be due to like a, an education gap, right? Um, I noticed that you, uh, or I was reading that you, um, you, you've started uh, uh, a company or you co-founded a company to help close that cannabis, cannabis education gap for the medical community. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that's uh, that's a company that we founded in 2018. It's called Radical Health, and it's an education company that's specifically targeted uh, to help healthcare professionals understand how to use cannabis medicinally. Um, and, you know, we've we've come a long way. I've been in the industry since about 2014. And um, I, I've definitely seen that I think we're at a tipping point now. There is still, I, I would love to stand here and say that there is no longer a stigma about, you know, cannabis and cannabis users. But unfortunately, it's intransigent and it's still here. 
Um, but I think we've come a long way and I do think we've hit a tipping point. And so now when we, especially when we get in front of groups of medical professionals, um, they're very curious and very interested. Uh, so I'm, I'm hoping that organizations, hospital organizations will now, you know, will start to take a more proactive position about um, learning about the endocannabinoid system, learning about phytocannabinoids. Um, I, I fear that maybe uh, you know, federal uh, legalization is is the the remaining obstacle. Um, but I am also cautiously optimistic that uh, we might have some kind of federal reform by the end of 2022. Let's let's hope. I um I, I would love that. So what's what's the biggest challenge that you guys have faced when getting healthcare providers to use cannabis and, and, you know, uh, and recommend their patients to use cannabis. Yeah. There, there's a lot of fear about uh, losing their license. So that's the first thing we know that, you know, cannabis at the federal level is still a schedule one drug. So, um, clinicians are, are, you know, very wary of, of even talking about it. Um, also they don't really know much about it. They don't know what products to recommend. They don't know what cannabinoids to recommend. They don't know, the dose to start at. They don't know how to titrate that dose. They don't know what the drug-drug interactions are going to be. They don't know what the adverse side effects will be. So they have all of these questions. And, um, you know, when a patient comes in and says, hey, how about cannabis? They say, gosh, uh, you know, I've heard good things about it. I don't, but I don't really know anything about it. Go on, you know, go down to the local dispensary and talk to the, you know, the retail worker there and see what they can tell you, which is not a good model. Definitely not a good model. I would, uh, I would, I would much rather be uh, given the recommendations by the doctor. And and then this this is where you know we need we need people like you and and you know companies like yours to you know kind of close that gap in education and um, you know give them the information they need to be able to guide patients in the right way. Uh, but it's 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 still a challenge because there's there's still. There, there's there there needs to be more studies we you know we need we need you know more science pushing this frontier forward yes um i i will say that cannabis is probably the most well-studied drug on the planet uh and when we look at the the studies that are in the medical literature i think there are now over fifty thousand studies um multiple hundreds of clinical studies um, but because there are so many potential uses for cannabinoid medicines, uh, there are areas, there are disease states for which we don't really have much information. And, you know, a lot of these disease states are, are ones that have been approved at the state level for cannabis use. And so there's an understandable reticence about, you know, using uh, cannabis for things where there's not a lot of research. Um, but, you know, we, we do know there, you know, we do know that there, there is substantial and conclusive evidence about the efficacy and safety of cannabis in specific conditions and disease, chronic pain in adults, nausea and vomiting, spasticity and MS. Yep. Uh, and then there's, um, you know, there's good evidence in, in other conditions and disease as well. We will always need more research. Uh, but I think we have plenty of research to to understand that cannabis can be a really safe and effective medicine. I agree with that. I, I think I'm more talking about um, like the, the, the dosing of it. Right. And, you know, there, there are so many different cannabinoids that are now just blowing up in the industry that, that we, we, you know, there, there's obviously studies about it, but you know, 
what about like, uh, you know, I hear like THCP, THCV, you know, these more rare ones. There was a study that uh, uh, the uh, that came out of Oregon and said CVGA. So the acidic versions of cannabinoids, you know, seem to work better for this. And, you know, the the, the big question that I always get, you know, coming from a, 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 you know, pharmacy background is, you know, what is the dose? And I think it's difficult because, you know, it's it's the pharmacokinetics are variable. If, if, if you look at people taking edibles, it's it's kind of different from from person to person. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, you know, when we talk to clinicians and we we have these presentations that we give them and we start talking about the science behind the endocannabinoid system, they don't really care. They want to know, you know, what do I give my patient? How much do they give them? Uh, how, how, you know, how do they titrate it? And, you know, when do they raise the dose and, and when do they stop taking it? So they want, you know, they want that kind of concrete information that's going to help them treat their patients. And you're right, there are, you know, there are so many cannabinoids, and then we have new cannabinoids that are still being discovered. We have synthetic cannabinoids that are still being created. And, um, and then you have, we're all N of one also, right? We all respond a little bit differently to each of these things. And so um, it, you know, clearly this is not, uh, th this modality, this health modality is not something that is easily uh, standardized, right? There's a lot of experimentation when people are coming to cannabis. And I think that's partly why we, you know, we have some patient populations that don't do so well with it, you know, um, because they're not, you know, they're just not willing to sort of, um, go through that experimental process. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, talk to me a little bit about, um, what got you into the whole cannabis industry? I've, I've noticed that you went from, uh, from tech for, for, you know, a bunch of years to now cannabis. Yeah, it was in uh, 2014 and my my wife and I were sitting out on the back porch having a glass of wine and we were both working professionals and, um, not necessarily, uh, we were no longer emotionally engaged with our professions. And so we were looking to do something different. And uh, Rebecca had mentioned, you know, she said, what, why, why don't we get into the cannabis space? And, you know, I've been a cannabis user for 30 years. And I thought, well, that's an interesting idea. And, you know, a very dear friend of ours and my current business partner, uh, Eloise Thiessen, had started a, a cannabis clinic and she was treating patients. She's a nurse practitioner. And she was um, having difficulty finding the right products for her senior community, um, finding the right companies to deliver those products, finding the right support. So we, Rebecca and I thought we, we could step in and do that. We could have a delivering consulting service. And so we started a company. This was in uh, 2015. Uh, and uh, basically we worked with Eloise's patients and um, we would deliver products to them, but also sit down with them and make sure that they understood their treatment plan, uh, make sure they understood their dosing instructions. Uh, sometimes they needed help learning how to use the devices. You know, these were seniors who were, you know, trying to use a vape pen for the first time. Um, sometimes even, you know, the, the active inhaling can, is not necessarily intuitive. So we had to teach, you know, these, these patients how to inhale cannabis. Uh, and then we would offer ongoing support and products. Uh, and we did that for uh, three years, um, but then California passed Prop 64, uh, which was um, which allowed adult use. Uh, and um, one of the other things that that proposition did is it enabled municipalities to um, unilaterally ban commercial cannabis, and that's what most counties did. Uh, you know, obviously San Francisco and Oakland and LA 
you know, th those areas had um, lots of cannabis access, but most of the state, um, you know, most of the companies either had to go into the gray market or illicit market or shut down. And so that's what we did. We shut down uh, and then we pivoted. That's when we um, founded Radical Health uh, and uh, just started focusing on education. Um, during that time, uh, I was still doing some curriculum development. So my background is in tech, but it's in instructional systems design, curriculum development, uh, information architecture. So I was still doing some uh, curriculum design uh, for uh, some companies and, and, uh, and colleges. And uh, that's when I, um, I, I designed a class for Pacific College for the initial certificate program. Uh, and then they brought me on to teach the class. And so I was on faculty for a little while. And then in January, I accepted the directorship. Oh, that's awesome. How are you liking that now? Oh, it's uh, fantastic. I get to talk about cannabis all day. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, so what are your thoughts on, um, you know, you, you mentioned that we might have some kind of reform coming up soon. Um, you know, I, I feel like every time, um, you know, there's uh, elections or something coming up. I hear this chatter, you know, uh, what, what are your thoughts? Where do you think this is going? Who do you think is finally going to legalize this? Uh, you know, let's, let's go there. Well, we're in August. So um, <laughs> I was a lot more hopeful in January. Um, so my thoughts are, so we're, we're approaching the end of the legislative cycle. So anything that doesn't, you know, navigate the legislative process by the end of December is pretty much dead. Um, we do know that the Administration and Opportunity Act was introduced into the Senate. Um, and, uh, I, you know, there's, there's some support for that. I don't know if there's comprehensive support for it. Uh, it's very similar to the Moore Act, which already passed in the House. So I think that there is a chance that um, that may pass. I, I think more probably something that's less comprehensive has a chance of passing something like the, you know, the Safe Banking Act, um, especially if it gets tucked into another bill. I think, um, in fact, I think something similar to the Safe Banking Act was tucked into a defense spending bill at some point. So I can see decriminalization happening, uh, just mostly because it it sort of frees up banks and financial institutions to start working with the cannabis industry. Um, there's also, you know, Nancy Mace has an act uh, that she introduced, and she's a Republican, and you know, Republicans seem to have a, an easier time lining up behind their own bills than than Democrats do, and so uh, and her bill is um, is you know it's very sparse. Uh, there are really very few, if any, federal programs that are designed to help uh, the communities that have been disproportionately impacted by the war on drugs. Uh, the taxes are much lower in, in Mesa's bill. So I can see maybe the industry getting behind that. I can definitely see the, you know anyone on the Republican side of the aisle, uh, libertarians getting behind that act more so than something like the Cannabis Administration and Opportunity Act. Or maybe nothing happens, you know, I, how disappointing would it be if something actually did pass and Joe Biden vetoed it? You know, he's not exactly been a proponent of, uh, he's not, he's not a drug advocate, certainly. Yeah. Um, but, uh, hopefully, um, hopefully we'll get something passed this year because otherwise, you know, once, if the Senate changes, um, you know, and, and there's a Republican majority, you know, we didn't see any 
cannabis legislation when the Republicans had control of the Senate. So I'm worried that if something doesn't happen this year, we might have another couple of years to wait. So I, I, I think, um, you know, I, I have a lot of friends in the industry. I've, I've seen, you know, what's going on in California and Colorado right now. And, and it's, it's tough out there. They're, they're not making money. Um, you know, it's, it's, I see a lot of them going out of business. It's, it's pretty sad. And, and, you know, we definitely need some kind of reform. You know, we, we need some help. Uh, I myself have a cannabis business. I've been booted out of banks multiple times. You know, I, I have, uh, you know, over 100 employees that I've had to sometimes pay out of pocket because the bank shut me down. And it's at this point, it's, you know, I feel like the majority of Americans use cannabis in some way, shape or form, whether it's CBD, CBG, you know, your Delta 9, your Delta 8, you know, it's it's everywhere now. Yeah, it certainly is. And um, we we need to regulate it. I think everyone that it, everyone can see well most people have to see that i think it's a matter of how do we how do we move forward with it mm-hmm. um yeah, i i always hear people talk about the green rush and i I'm like what man i i wish you know i wish that would rush over in my direction because <laughs> i don't really know anyone who's uh, making money hand over fist in the industry um certainly there is a lot of money in the industry but uh mm-hmm. i think for most people who are boots on the ground and running companies it's a struggle and you know even even companies that aren't plant touching you know, like it took my company, an education company, six months to get a bank account. You know, I had to sit down with a small local bank with the CEO and the CFO and tell them specifically what we were doing, specifically where the income was coming from uh, before they would agree. And then we had, you know, a couple of point of sale companies close our, you know, close our accounts or we couldn't even get a, um, uh, um, I think it's Square. No, we have a square account right now. There's another point of sale that's um, that's uh, headquartered in San Francisco. And um, which one? Is it Stripe? Yeah, Stripe. They're they're headquartered in San Francisco, where you know we've had legal cannabis since 1996, uh-huh. uh, and um, they they wouldn't even consider us, which was really important. Uh, you know, really disappointing. So. Um, I, I, we got to solve that problem first and foremost. We we can't. We we also have to stop putting people in jail for cannabis use. Um, you know, I, th- there's a lot of chatter in the industry about well, we, you know, we shouldn't have passed this or we shouldn't have passed that. I you know I, I get it. I I understand how you know people have been in the industry for a long time and um, you know cultivators who have been working for generations and how they're being excluded from the legal cannabis industry. I get all of that. But from my perspective, you know, we have to stop incarcerating people. And, and the only way to do that is to is to pass these laws and um, and then figure out how to fix it. Yeah, I, I see people going crazy over Brittany Griner getting incarcerated for having a vape pen. And, you know, there's all this outrage. And I'm like, guys, this has been happening in the States forever. You know, we, we need to change. I mean, we're incarcerating people still to this day for cannabis, something that you can get in pretty much every state at this point. It's, it's, we, we, we need to change. We need to change. Yeah, yeah we definitely do. And even uh, legislation at the federal level won't completely stop it. I mean, we still have three states where they're, they're, you know, cannabis is completely illegal in all forms. So, um, you know, it, it, we shouldn't have, you know, we shouldn't have medicine by zip code, right? Mm-hmm. Either something has therapeutic value and it's available uh, to patients and consumers, or it doesn't. And clearly cannabis does. I mean, we, there, there's a mountain of evidence to demonstrate that it, it has, you know, in many cases, it's more safe, it's more uh, uh, 
effective than many prescription medications that we use. Mm-hmm. So um, we have to address that at the federal level. And then we have to start addressing, we have to get those last three states on board also. Agreed. So what, what um, in, in, in the years that you've been doing this, what do you think um, has, I wouldn't say the most therapeutic value, but which cannabinoid have you, which cannabinoid do you think is going to be the most widely accepted right now in the medical community? Well, not THC. Uh, <laughs> it's got too much baggage, uh, which is unfortunate because I think the medicinal value of THC is, um, it, you know, it's very useful cannabinoid. Um, and I, I should, you know, I, I need to note that I, I'm not a clinician. I'm not a doctor. I, you know, I'm not a healthcare professional. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I see, um, patients using a number of different cannabinoids. Like I love the acidic cannabinoids, right? You can use uh, acidic cannabinoids throughout the day. Uh, if you got to go to work or if you have to go to school, they're not impairing. Um, you know, obviously CBD is a, is a great cannabinoid, um, at multiple therapeutic uses. Um, I, I'm a little reticent about Delta eight. You mentioned Delta eight earlier, only because of the way that it's, you know, the, the way that it's made and most products that have Delta eight, I, I consider it a synthetic cannabinoid, even though it's naturally occurring. I don't think many companies or products have naturally occurring Delta eight. So I worry about the byproducts in, uh, in those products. Um, but if we are able to, um, to get a, a very clean Delta eight product, I think that's great also, you know, um, because it's a little bit less, um, psychoactive than Delta nine. And, uh, again, you know, we can have these, um, uh, therapeutic uses, uh, without impairment. Um, and I, you know, look, I love the euphoria of THC. I think there's a time and a place for it. Um, but you know, many of us have to go to work during the day or have to go yep. to school or have to drive a car. And so, uh, having these other cannabinoids that uh, are non-impairing, I think are, you know, it's probably, uh, the, the future of cannabis. Yeah, I, I see cannab- cannabis non-psychoactive being used on a daily basis. We, um, you know, but but we we do need some change. Uh, I think the whole thing about Delta Eight is is you know really we need regulation. We need we need regulators to come in and tell us you know what we can, what we can't do. Uh, testing is a nightmare right now from experience. I get wildly different test results. We have uh, done GC mass specs on what we've done, but but again, regulation is needed. Uh, taxation is needed. We need to be able to bank. We need to be able to just conduct our business and, um, and uh, you know, push the industry forward. Yeah. It's crazy that we have uh, a hemp industry that's completely unregulated in terms of <laughs> medical products and a cannabis industry that's regulated to a burdensome extent. Uh, and, you know, we're producing the same cannabinoids largely out of these mm-hmm. two industries. Um so yeah, we, we need to sort of, um, just have an umbrella. I, and I, I do hope that it's not over-regulated. Um, I know that even in, you know, even in like in a state like California, you know, when states roll out initial regulations, often what happens is that they, you know, they have these really high taxes, these really high, uh, barriers of access to the industry. Um, you know, they lack of access for consumers, and so all of that does is it it uh, it supports the illicit industry, um, and you know it, it doesn't give uh, entrepreneurs and patients an opportunity to engage in the legal market. So we we really need to be uh, states need to be um, uh, smart about how they roll out their their medical and adult use programs. 
And that starts with taxing. You know, the, um, if you, you know, if you if you have burdensome taxes on on legal products, then people are going to continue getting it from the illicit market where they've been getting it for decades and decades. Yep, I couldn't agree more. So, Tim, we got to wrap it up. Uh, listeners, if you want to learn more about the programs over at Pacific College, go to pacificcollege.edu. Tim, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on this podcast. Thank you all guys for listening. You can find all our episodes on CannabisRadio.com. Please rate the show, like, subscribe. You can listen to this podcast anywhere where you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, our radio, Amazon, Google, whatever you guys want. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you so much, guys. Bye.